Welcome to the River Fellowship Podcast. This week, lead pastor Daryl Anderson takes us through Hebrews 11. With our desire and quest for comfort, discomfort can be regarded as negative. However, living in a discomfortable place is exactly where God wants us. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org. As you can tell, I've got two seats up here. One is a very comfortable chair. Got a nice soft cushion, but yet it's still firm enough, you know, to little get some support. Got a nice support, comfort in the back, the arms rest. It's just, I may just preach from here this morning. <laughs> if I had a choice, I would sit in this comfortable chair. Over here, I have something different. This is a little hard, doesn't even really fit me very well. There's no, there's no back to rest on. It's, it's pretty wiggly. If I have a choice, I'm choosing this chair every time. In fact, I would never choose to sit in that chair. The only reason I would ever sit in that chair is if there weren't any other chairs around. So if that's the only chair, I'd sit there, but I'd only sit there long enough until a comfortable chair opened up. Because here's the reality. I prefer a comfortable chair. You probably prefer a comfortable chair. Likewise, we probably all prefer a comfortable life. We probably all want to make a comfortable living. I've never heard anybody say, man, I wish I could make an uncomfortable living. Why? We prefer comfort. So that means automatically that we consider discomfort a bad thing, a negative thing. If you were to look in synonyms in the dictionary for discomfort, you'd find words like uneasiness, pain, anxiety, ache, worry. But really the basic definition of discomfort is simply something that disturbs our comfort. So if the definition is something that disturbs our comfort, is it possible then that discomfort could actually be a positive thing? If I love comfort, if I prefer comfort, but I need to be moved out of my comfort, then wouldn't discomfort be a positive element? What we're talking about really is this proverbial comfort zone. I'm gonna use these, these little cones. This is my comfort zone. Now a comfort zone is a, an imaginary and invisible boundary that is presumed safe and secure. So it's kind of a theoretical risk-free zone or a danger-free zone. And what's interesting about the comfort zone is once somebody gets firmly established in a comfort zone, it's really hard to get them out of the comfort zone. The only time they would actually get up and get out of their comfort zone would be if they feel safe and secure. But the moment they feel like they're in danger, they're right back in their comfort zone. They don't let anybody in their comfort zone except those people that they feel very safe and very secure around. But here's the problem. The comfort zone may be very comfortable, but it's not profitable. It's not productive. In fact, research and surveys show that highly successful people routinely get out of their comfort zones to do what needs to be done. A guy named Scott Peck, he's the author of The Road Less Travel. This is what he says. The truth is that our finest moments are most likely to occur when we are feeling deeply uncomfortable. 
For it is only in such moments propelled by our discomfort that we are likely to step out of our ruts and start searching for different ways or truer answers. Peter McWilliams says this, comfort zones are often expanded through discomfort. In other words, if I'm in my comfort zone, but I know something needs to progress, I step out of my comfort zone into a discomfort zone, pretty soon that becomes a comfort zone. And then I'm able to step out of that comfort zone, and after a while, that becomes a comfort zone. So the perspective really is that we are on this continual quest of comfort zone expansion. I want to coin a new word this morning, discomfortable. I know that's not a word, but it's a word this morning, that we would be discomfortable. There are some things in life that should make us extremely discomfortable. One of those things is evil or sin or wrong in the world. Whether it's, whether it's like political issues, moral issues, social issues, racial issues, when we see injustice, when we see God or godliness being rejected, when we see the persecution of innocent people, that ought to make us discomfortable and cause us to step out and do something or say something. And in that definition, discomfort is a positive thing. Another one is the plight of people, whether it's hunger, homelessness, orphans, um, victims of natural disasters, when we see these pl the plight of people, that ought to make us discomfortable and cause us to step out and do something. So their discomfort's a good thing. But here's one that's a little more personal for us this morning. That's our own spiritual condition. At times, our spiritual condition should create some discomfort in us. One example is sin. For those that have never received Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, the scripture says that they are still dead in their sin. And we know that the wages of sin is death. So without Christ, when we become aware of this sin condition without Christ, that ought to create some discomfort in our spirit that will cause us to do something. And that's what the Spirit of God does when he... When he draws someone without Christ, what he's doing is he's creating some discomfort in that person so they become aware of their condition without Christ. But even those with Christ, sin should still create discomfort in us. A follower of Christ should never be comfortable with sin reigning in their life. A believer should never feel comfortable walking in rebellion against what the Father would have for us. God knows that, so God brings what we call conviction. And all conviction is, it's the Spirit of God that lives within us that is creating discomfort in us so that we will step out and that we'll do something and deal with it. But there's another area of, of our spiritual walk that I want to camp out more on this morning, and that's our spiritual progression. Some people call it spiritual maturity. It's our spiritual advancement. Here's something exciting about a relationship with Christ and our walk with Christ, and it's this. Wherever we are spiritually, whether we're a non-believer, we've never given our life to Christ yet, or we're a brand new follower of Christ, or we've been a believer for decades, the exciting thing about our spiritual journey 
is God is always moving us forward and taking us deeper. He's always seeking wherever we are to move us forward. There's never a stopping point in our walk with Christ. There's never a destination. It's an ongoing, perpetual journey that wherever we are, God wants to move us into deeper relationship with himself. Here's where I wanna camp out a little bit. What I wanna talk about this morning is what I'm gonna call the ultimate discomfort zone. What is the ultimate discomfort zone? Well, it's a zone that God is actually calling every one of us to live in and to walk in. So let me invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And we'll look at the ultimate discomfort zone. Hebrews chapter 11. Are we willing to step out of our comfort zone and live in the ultimate discomfort zone? Most of you will know Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter. It's a list of a variety of heroes of the faith and how God proved faithful to them and their faithfulness in return to God. I wanna deal with two questions this morning. And the first is, what is faith? What is faith? Well, verse one, Hebrews 11, one tells us, look in verse one, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. So faith is being sure and faith is being certain. Now that word sure, uh, it means assurance or substance of our assurance. It also means confidence. One commentator calls it the steadiness of mind which holds us firm. Now back in the day when this was written, that word sure or surety was used in business documents as a guarantee for transactions. So when you made a transaction, you had this business document that was, was a surety for this transaction. Here's a modern day example. When I purchased a vehicle, we got this car title. Because we financed it, the finance company actually had the car title while we were paying it off. Once we paid off the vehicle, we received the car title. Well, that car title, that document, proves three things. One, it proves that that car really exists because the name of the car is on that title. And you may say, well, obviously you've been driving the car exists, but somebody that hadn't never seen the car, I can show the document and say, this car exists, even though you've not seen it. It proves that the car is paid for, says it on there, and it proves that the car is mine because my name's there as the title holder. In a similar way, that's what faith does for us. It proves as this assurance this surety that God exists, even though maybe we've not seen him, and that my salvation's been paid for, and God is mine, or better said, I am his. That's what it means to be sure. It also means confidence. Example, I'm confident that Hawaii exists. I've never been to Hawaii, maybe one day. But even though I've never been there, I'm confident that Hawaii exists. Why? I've had friends go to Hawaii and come back and tell me about it with no t-shirt, but thank you. <laughs> I've had family go to Hawaii and come back and tell me about it. I've seen pictures of Hawaii. I've watched live television broadcasts from Hawaii saying we're in Hawaii. So because of the overwhelming evidence 
I am confident that Hawaii exists even though I've never been there. That's what this word sure means. It means that I am confident because of the overwhelming evidence that God exists and he has a purpose and a plan. We don't have time to talk about that evidence this morning, but that's what this word means. So it means to be sure, but it also means to be certain. Now in the ancient Greek, this word certain meant proof. But later, probably the time when this was written, it became to mean strong conviction. So it means I have a strong conviction. In other words, I have this word, I have an assurance, I have confidence, and I have this strong conviction about God. But now here's the discomfortable part that we have to look at. What does it say we are sure of and certain of? We are sure of what we hope for and what we do not see. Now, hope here means an expectation. It's an anticipation. We know it's going to happen, but here's the discomfortable part. It's in what we do not see. All of our faith, everything that we're sure about, everything that we're confident about is placed in something that we do not see. It's not presently visible. It's not a present reality. Remember last week, we talked about learning to wait. We said there are two things that all of us as followers of Christ are waiting for. One of those things is the redemption of our body. And the other is the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ, the return of Jesus Christ. We are anxiously waiting for that, but we have not seen that. But we are waiting for that and expecting. That's what faith is. So here's the deal. Faith is discomfortable because it's based on the unseen. Now let me expand that and ask the second question and deal with the second question. What is discomfortable faith? I share this because this is where God is calling every one of us to live. When we talk about faith, this is what we're talking about. It's a discomfortable faith. That's what God is moving us to. He doesn't want us living in this comfort zone that we sometimes call faith in God. He's asking us to step out into a discomfortable realm that is true biblical faith. So what is it? Well, let's walk through the text. It tells us. Let me give you seven or eight different things. Look in verse three. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. First, discomfortable faith is believing something that you did not see happen and you cannot prove scientifically. Discomfortable faith is believing something that you didn't see happen. What's it talking about here? We understand that the universe was formed. How? at God's command. It's talking about creation, how things came into existence. What do we believe? We believe God created the universe, but there are many people out there that do not believe that. They believe that creation created itself. They believe in a creatorless creation. So how do we stand firm believing that God really did create all that is when we didn't see it happen? Now, there are many people that try to prove it through some philosophical arguments, some logical reasonings, through even religious proof text. But the reality is we can't prove it. So what do we do? We have this discomfortable faith that says, I believe it, even though I didn't see it happen. Look in verse five. It builds on that. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. 
Just a side note, wouldn't it have been cool to be Enoch? I mean, be, be such a godly person that God just kind of comes down and says, hey, let's go home together. That's just cool. It says, but before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him, and here it is, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So here's secondly, discomfortable faith is trusting in someone that you cannot see. We must believe it exists. I couldn't get 2018 statistics. I had to kind of gather from previous years and compile some numbers. So I'm rounding, all right? But today, approximately around 10% of America's population is atheist or agnostic, 10%. Either do not believe in God or they question the existence of God. 80% of that number are under 50. Over 50% of that number are millennials. The majority of that number are younger millennials versus older millennials. Now, pile on top of that, Gen Z teenagers that are thrown in this mix, they say now up to 13% of teenagers are atheists. If you throw agnosticism in that, it's as high, some of them say as high as 30% of teenagers today in America do not believe in the existence of God or they question it. What's that telling us? Well, that's telling me something very disturbing. Every generation that comes behind is more atheistic and more agnostic than the previous generation. If you're here and you're 65 years old, probably very few of your peers are atheist or agnostic. But if you're 25 here or you're 15 here, there may be a lot of your friends and peers that are one or the other. More and more people are becoming atheistic. What this is saying is discomfortable faith says, I believe God exists even though I do not see him and cannot see him. But not only that he exists, what else? That he rewards those who seek him. Here's a little thought. I don't have time to camp out here, but think about this this week. Perhaps there's a correlation between the strength of our belief in God and our earnest pursuit of God. Verse 7. Another characteristic. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Third, discomfortable faith is preparing for something that has never happened. Believing something happened I didn't see, it's believing someone that I've never seen, and now it's preparing for something that hasn't happened. Noah's about 500 years when we see him in Scripture. He's about 600 years old when the flood comes. So 100 years, give or take, Noah is preparing for something that has never happened. Can you imagine the ridicule and the teasing, the teasing, all that's going on in those 100 years while he's building this ark for whatever reason? Why is he building that? Because he has this discomfortable faith that God's told him to do something, even though it hasn't happened. So discomfortable faith says, I will live as if something is going to happen 
even though it hasn't happened yet. Remember, one of these things we're waiting for is the glorious appearing of our Savior, the return of Jesus Christ to rule and to reign, and we get to reign with him. That has not happened yet, but this comfortable faith says, I will live in such a way as to anticipate and be ready for that day because I know, I'm sure, I'm certain, I'm confident that it's gonna happen, even though it hadn't happened. Verse eight. Let's keep building on it. Doesn't get any easier. Doesn't get any less discomfortable. Verse eight, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Now discomfortable faith is embarking on a journey, not knowing the destination. It says, Abraham went even though he didn't know where he was going. Now, when I take a trip, I have, I have never gotten in my car and just started going, not having any idea where I'm going. Anytime I've taken a trip, taken a vacation, etc., I know exactly where I'm going. I know the destination. I know the roads I'm gonna take. I know the route I'm gonna take. I've looked to be sure I know how to get there. If it's a multi-day trip, I know what city I'm gonna stop and spend the night in. I've already made my hotel reservation. I know all the specifics. If it's a vacation place we're going to, we've already researched, okay, here's some things that we're going to do on this vacation. I've never gone on a trip and not known the specifics. Unfortunately, we can take that same dynamic in our faith walk with Christ, with God. When God says, hey, I want you to move forward, we have to say, okay, wait a minute. I need to know all the specifics. I need all the details. How are we gonna get there? What are you going to do? How long am I gonna be in this situation? How long do I have to endure this location? I have to know all the specifics and all the details. And God, if you'll tell me everything I need to know, I'm ready. And God says, that's not the way it works. Discomfortable faith says, I say go, and you say, okay. <laughs> and I don't know any specifics. I don't know what the next day looks like. I don't know what the next week looks like. I don't know what the next event's gonna happen in my life. I just know because of who you are, I believe you exist. I believe you reward those who seek you. I believe you died for me. I've given my life to you. I trust you. I know you're faithful. I know you're good. So I'm just going to walk, even though I've never seen you, even though I've never gone through this before, even though I can't see what's going on, I'm going to trust you because I believe who you are. That's pretty discomfortable. Let's apply this to River Fellowship. God has called us out as River Fellowship to say, let's go. And I'll be honest, even as lead pastor, I can speak, I think, for the elders. We don't know where we're going. <laughs> we don't know the destination. We don't know. We've not... We've not sat down with God and God's given us, okay, here's exactly how it's gonna look like. Here's exactly the growth pattern. Here's exactly what you're gonna look like. Here's the exact location we're gonna end up permanently being. Here's what's gonna look like. We don't have any idea. All we know is God has said go and we're saying okay. It's a little discomfortable, but that's exactly where God calls us to be. Verse 17, 
Going to get harder, just telling you. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Discomfortable faith is giving God what is most valuable to me. Real discomfortable faith says, that which is most valuable to me, give it to God. Abraham loved Isaac more than anyone, anything in his life other than God. And Isaac represented the promise of God. So God says, take that which is most precious to you and give him to me. Abraham, I mean, we, we can have the churchy dynamic here, but just really try to imagine that in real life. Putting your son on an altar. Okay. Trusting that God would take care of it. That's what he's calling us to do. Remember the story of the rich young ruler we looked at a few weeks ago? God asked him to do, Jesus asked him to do the very same thing, which was his wealth. Give it. The rich young ruler said he went away sad because he couldn't. Why? Because his wealth was more valuable to him than a relationship with Christ. What he's calling each one of us to do is to examine what's most valuable and give it to him. So what is it? Is it your family? Is it your kids? Your 401k? Your job? Your position, your influence in the society? What, what is it? Whatever it is, God says, give it to me. With the trust of knowing he's going to do the right thing with it. I don't know what that may be, but I'm going to give it to him and trust him with it. That's discomfortable faith. Verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose, and you could put instead here if you wanted to, he chose instead to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. Here, discomfortable faith is choosing persecution over prosperity. It's choosing persecution over prosperity. It says that Moses, what? Chose. He made a conscious decision to be mistreated along with the people of God. In other words, Moses rejected the prosperity of Pharaoh for the persecution of Pharaoh. Why in the world would he do that? Why in the world would someone choose persecution over prosperity? Verse 26 tells us, because he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Why? Well, it goes on to say, he was looking ahead to his reward. Here's what's going on with Moses. By faith, confidence, hadn't seen it, but Moses knew deep in his heart and deep in his spirit that his riches were not planted in this world. Yes, the Pharaoh in Egypt had all this wealth, 
But he knew that his reward was even greater, that God had so much more than the Pharaoh ever had that he said, that looks like penance to the reward that I have. So I'm going to give up everything that the Pharaoh has to offer me because I know that God's going to reward me with something so much greater. He was willing to be persecuted in this world to receive the reward in the next. Now this has huge application for us. In the 1950s, a new theology, not really new, but a theology called the prosperity theology came into prominence in the United States. It had been around before that, but in the 50s is when it just kind of began to bloom. Prosperity theology taught that financial blessing and physical well-being are always God's plan and will for your life. It says that material blessing is at the core of God's desire for us. Well, as you can imagine, the, the, that just caught on and just went crazy. Prosperity thought theology just bloomed. But what's funny to me is persecution theology didn't take off quite so well. <laughs> People didn't latch on to persecution theology. Why? Because people thought what the world had to offer was more important than what God had to offer. And so they chose the riches of Pharaoh instead of the reward that God had for us. It's a battle that applies to us every single day. It's godliness versus ungodliness. Will I listen to the spirit? Will I listen to the flesh? Will I live a life of sin? Will I live a life of righteousness? Do I believe in absolutism, that there is a definite right or wrong or relativism? What it's saying is I have a choice to make just like Moses do, did. When I look at the world and everything the world has to offer and Satan has to offer and my flesh has to offer, am I sure enough, am I confident enough to know that what God offers is so much better and so much more eternal. Discomfortable faith says, I reject that even though it may cause persecution in my life and I choose God. I will choose to do what's right even if it costs me my job. Even if it costs me a relationship. I will choose to do right and follow Christ even if that means I missed that promotion or I lost that business deal because I know following Christ and living a life that honors Christ is the reward and not the flesh. Here's the last one, verse 35. This comes after a series of heroes that have done some really cool things and God used them to do cool things, conquered kingdoms, administered justice, shut the mouth of lions, quench the flames, escape the edge of the sword, etc. gets down to the middle of verse 35 and said, but others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. Here's the last element. Discomfortable faith is staying faithful even in the midst of persecution, maybe death. See, it's one thing to choose persecution over prosperity and say in, a, in a, an emotional whim, yes, I'm for God. It's something else to stay faithful when that choice and decision brings about 
persecution. Verse 35 said that they were tortured and refused to be released. Many of these in that day, when they were confronted, they had, they had an option, they had a choice. They could denounce Christ, and if they denounced Christ, they could be set free, no harm. But if they claimed Christ, then they would be tortured, sometimes killed, usually violently. And said these refused to be released. Why? So that they might gain a better resurrection. You see a pattern developing here? Why did Moses reject the things of Pharaoh? Because of a better reward. Why did these who were martyrs reject or not denounce Christ? Because of a better resurrection. This comfortable faith says, I will follow Christ. I will serve Christ. I will trust God in everything and in every way. Why? Because I am sure, I am confident that there's something better waiting for me than what this world has to offer. And it's an eternity in the presence, relationship with the creator of the universe, with our son, Jesus Christ. Here's the deal. I can choose to sit in my comfortable chair. I can choose to live life in my comfort zone. And I can choose to be here and have a, a sense of comfortable faith. But everything that's full of life and full of joy and full of power is out here in the discomfort zone. And what happens is, as we mentioned, when we step out of our, out of our comfort zone into discomfort spiritually, after a while, that becomes pretty comfortable. And yeah, I'm feeling good, which allows me then to continue to step out farther. And what God's calling us into, wherever we are in our walk and relationship with Christ, what he's calling us to do is take another step of advancement. Just go another step deeper. Wherever you are in that comfort zone of faith to say, okay, let's step out and let's see God do some amazing things in us and through us. Yes, it will be discomfortable. But yes, we can be confident that the reward is waiting. Would you bow with me this morning? Take a moment, let the spirit minister to your spirit. Not an easy topic. But the great thing about living in this comfortable faith is God is faithful. <laughs> and everything he calls us into, he is there with us to be with us and to be the faithful one in the midst of that discomfortable faith. We can trust him. So whatever he's calling you to do this morning, however this applies, I have no idea how this applies to you personally, but ask the Spirit of God to make application. Father, what, what is my next step? What does this comfortable faith need to look like in me this week? And know whatever he calls you to do this week, 
Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. And Father, we know that even though we don't see you and see everything that you've done, we know you exist and we are in earnest pursuit of you. So Father, we pray that you would continue to reveal yourself to us, that you would reveal your plan and your purpose to us, and that you would give us a desire, a longing, a yearning to be as discomfortable as possible if that means that we will trust you and to see what you want to do in and through us. So Father, speak as we continue to sing and worship. May you minister to our spirit this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, or to hear more messages, go to rfamarillo.org. Thanks. Have a great week.